ladies and gentlemen, there has been a murder, and you are a suspect. Oh, this is so fabulous. Ain't nothing like getting together with family and having a good meal. I wonder what's for dinner. This is delicious. It was at this moment he knew. This is rotten. Ah! What'd you say? I said eat. <laughs> Drink. Yeah, just in case you didn't know, Ooh. our episode tonight is about peaches. What? Wow, that was a killer <laughs> intro. I like how you set that up. Well, thank God to appreciate yeah, Sometimes I do like to dabble in the peaches and the cream. Well, we did that today. <laughs> you know why it's peach theme, Sharif? Why is that? Because we are traveling all the way to Gaffney, South Carolina, where they have that giant peach statue thing. Have you seen it before? It's the Gaffney peach. You have not seen the Gaffney peach before. Never been to Gaffney. Never been to Gaffney. Well, that's all right. We're going to be traveling there tonight in our podcast while we're talking about one of the sickest people in South Carolina's history, Leroy Martin. But before we get into that, this is our first episode. I was about to say, you can't just we skip can't past just go the excitement. Straight into the into the subject matter. Y'all don't know. We need to bring it back a little bit. We're going to reverse it, okay? This has been <laughs> at least two years in the making. Two years. Wow, man. We are procrastinators holy i mean <laughs> shout out to us shout we're out doing to us. the best job we of procrastination possible and we're here we're all here together we're in the studio you're listening to us it could not be a better situation yeah. so let's start off with what our podcast is about how about that it's called eat drink murder eat so drink murder it pretty much so explains itself we're right? gonna yeah it does explain itself but we're gonna be eating the most delectable of dishes mm -hmm. we're gonna be drinking the most delicious of drinks Fine. and we're gonna be talking about the most hideous murders there, there that are man. that was well put yeah we got big plans for this podcast i cannot <laughs> wait to see it develop and it all starts with y'all listening right now make sure you subscribe make sure you're going on your apple podcast you're going on your spotify's mm -hmm. listen share it tell all your friends about it especially if you're here in south carolina because we're kicking off our entire series with South, South Carolina, Carolina Strange and Sinister. <laughs> that was good. We yes. did good. We're synchronous. Yes. The worst things to happen in South Carolina, we're talking about yeah. to begin with. Anything that that's is, where that's is our home base of operations. This is where we need to kick it off. And you know, we might go state by state. We might go into some old history. We have a whole bunch of ideas to go with this. But the main objective here is just to have y'all entertained yeah. and for us to just eat and drink. If you like food. <laughs> If you like drinks and you like good conversation, then you're at the right place. This is the place for you. This is where you need to be. So for our first episode, you were saying that we are doing... It's just all we're, peaches. We're, we're all about peaches today. So We're peaches. And you know what? You know an interesting fact? Please. You know how Georgia is known as the peach state? Right. South Carolina produces more peaches than Georgia does. Take that, Georgia. Take it. Take it. As far as... This is 2018... Peach production, okay? 2018 peach production, and this is coming from the Greenville News, so it's still South Carolina-based, but it says that the number one, can you guess what the number the number one state for peach production is? I would say Florida or South Carolina or Georgia. It's interesting. It's actually California. California okay. is the number one peach production by actually a whole lot. <laughs> <It> is, <laughs> and number two 
is us, South Carolina. Okay. Check that out. We're number two. Next to California. That is a heavyweight, okay? You're right. Yeah. Gaffney is actually really known for their peaches. Not only do they have a giant water tower that looks exactly like a peach, and actually it's kind of funny looking at the pictures right now. The back of it totally looks like a butt crack. It's hilarious. That is hilarious. But I guess all peaches have the butt crack, don't they? Could you say it's like the sexiest fruit? I think that and a mango. Why a mango? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty good. good. But the water towers, it's actually called the Peachoid. It's 135 foot tall and it holds 1 million gallons of water. How about that? A very well-known piece of architecture that's in Gaffney. So yeah, that's every time I think of Gaffney, I think of the Peachoid. I think about peaches now because of what we're drinking today. Yeah. So we're eating Cobbler, peach cobbler. And, and then we have peach rum to go with it. And the rum's from Edgefield, so it's still keeping it in the state. So. What's it called? Uh, Lady Bells. Lady, Lady Bells. Bells. It's literally one of the best liquors that I've ever had in my it's life. It's one of my faves, it's, too. It really goes down smooth. The only way to drink it is straight up. It is a sin to mix it with anything. Yeah. Okay, so make sure you go to our official website. That's eatdrinkmurder.com. Email us at eatdrinkmurderpodcast at gmail.com. And then don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. Before, we already said before, so we're never going to get to the, our actual subject, just in case you were wondering, people. We're not. Um, we're going to just keep leading you but on. But before we get to... Episode two, <laughs> we'll actually tell you about the Gaffney Strangler. Yeah. We do want to name is our rich. sources. This is some we're good going content. To be, we're going to be one of those podcasts that will name our sources. We do lots of research. You may not know this, but we're up late at nights, typing away, reading books away. We also don't want to take any of the blame in the process, so here's our sources. Good point. <laughs> Uh, Our first source is going to be Palmetto Predators, colon. That's a colon. That's a colon. Yep. Colon. It's also where your poop comes out. That's for another episode. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Monsters Among Us by Mark R. Jones. Spoiler alert. We're talking about a monster here. (laughs) Yeah, he sucks. And then we also have some articles from the Gaffney Ledger, which is the the new source in good old Gaffney. Now, before we begin, I'm just kidding. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. So our story begins February 8th, 1968 in Gaffney, South Carolina. That's in Cherokee County. Mm-hmm. Bill Gibbons, a managing director for the local paper, the Gaffney Ledger, receives a phone call. And here's that phone call. So yes, that is the call. Can you imagine like just you're working at your job and you just get handed this like giant responsibility all of a sudden? 
I don't know. Maybe maybe Gibbons liked having the story, but Gibbons goes immediately to the local sheriff after hearing this call. The sheriff's name is Julian Wright. And about 30 minutes later, Gibbons, the sheriff, and a deputy head to the closest location, uh, which was the bridge over Clear Creek on Ford Road. And I, I don't know why Gibbons was allowed to go with the sheriff and one of the deputies on a call like this, but... Well, even this day and time, investigative journalists get a lot of... They don't get that type of access. Access. They're, but this was 70s, basically. Like, late 60s, early 70s, period. Yeah. Kind of idea of what a crime scene should look like, I wouldn't expect. No, that also actually really makes sense. I mean, you have a good point. Back in the day, everything was a lot less strict than it is now. You know yeah. what I'm saying? He's not going to live stream this to, you know... There you go. Uh, social media. It's just, mm -hmm. you know... They probably yeah. all, you know, went to the same bar together. You're like, you know, this is a small town, you know, You're 60 right. South Carolina. They obviously would have a relationship with the local police department. Yeah, that's probably where they get, journalist. like, you know, 90% of their stories, probably. Exactly. yeah. So um, when they get to the bridge on Clear Creek Road, uh, I'm sorry, Clear Creek on Ford Road, the deputy, Billy Bridges, leans over the railing and sees the nude body of 20-year-old Nancy Paris. Bridges calls the sheriff over, and then the sheriff, which would be uh, Sheriff Wright, says, My God. We've got some real problems. You think, Sheriff? <laughs> you think? You think? I understand, yeah, but... It's he thought it was a prank call, honestly. I mean, they were just going to... They they probably never expected something to actually be there. Um, just to give you a little background on Nancy Paris, she had only been missing for one day. Um, the last time she was seen, she was walking her poodle. Could not find the poodle's name, even though we try to name all our animals. Shout outs to all our South Carolina and animal listeners worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> shout um, out to my sister. She has a poodle. Yeah. Sunny. Shout out to Sunny. Yo. Hold Let's up. just call him Sunny from There's now. There's another Sunny? There's another Sunny. Uh, we have two dogs named Sunny that we know then. Anyways, she was walking her poodle. Somewhere along the way, she had been raped, strangled, and placed on a sandy bank, her head halfway submerged in the water with cigarette burns on her back. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, Rest in peace, uh, Nancy Paris. I'm horrific. Sorry. That's awful. You just imagine just like small town, South Carolina, 1960s, and there's mm -hmm. something like this happening. Even this day and time, that would be pretty shocking. When she was discovered, she had already been dead for a day. So this was literally a, you know, immediate crime. Like he didn't keep her or anything like that. This like happened in... I don't know where I was going with that. He had two victims, though. So, I mean, I see where you're going. He has more than two. Yeah. Right. I see where you're going with that because that's what I'm thinking, too, is like for one of these victims, he waited a little bit before uh -huh. calling on. As far as the time of death is concerned and of when she was discovered, she had likely just been tossed on the bank overnight. Now, this is corroborated by a local witness who contacted the police two days later, saying that he saw someone in a black 1957 Chevrolet dump what he thought was a dog into the creek the night before the body was discovered. When police asked why he didn't come forward sooner, the witness said, oh my God, he said, I'm married. And that night I was in a parked car with a married woman. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> he definitely, he definitely was not trying to come forward with that. That's a, that's hilarious. Um, well, I mean, he still came forward, you know, so he, he had did. I mean, his conscience got the better of him. Definitely. You got to remember this is 1960 South Carolina. The police force at this time did not have a 
crime scene photographer. So Gibbons, the reporter with the Gaffney Ledger, is actually working the crime scene with the police officers, <laughs> taking crime scene photos. First of all, that's very ghetto. Yeah. But aside, aside from that, that kind of answers our question. Like, why was he allowed on these crime scenes? Like, why did they? <laughs> they needed it. They needed them. I was like, oh, you got a camera? Come on with me to check this out. Yeah. Shit. I was not trying to get involved. I don't want to take any pictures. <laughs> so now the police start to search for the other Nancy who actually goes by Tina. So we'll just call her Tina Reinhardt from now on. That so makes we don't it a lot better. Confuse the two Nancys. When the killer called Gibbons, he said to go to the second ridge, turn left at the woods, and walk a quarter mile to a pile of bushes off of old Chain Gang Road. Tina was the first person he mentioned, but this isn't the first location they went to. Right. They went to Nancy's location first, probably because it was just the closest one, and they thought this was all bullshit. Mm -hmm. So the police spread out and eventually come across the second body, Tina Reinhardt, she was only 14 at oh, the time of her death. Well, she was killed yeah. in a similar way to Nancy. She was strangled, and I'm not seeing that she had the cigarette burns in her back, but she was, you know, at least killed the same way. She was strangled. That's He has a sexual gratification that he has to fulfill. It's almost like the murder is collateral damage. It could be an easier way to get away with it, because <laughs> usually murders are more high profile. I think this is a good time to kind of foreshadow the episode we plan on doing on Mindhunter. Oh, yeah, Mindhunter, yeah. Um, I mean, he's the person that coined the term signature. Mm-hmm. M.O. was already a thing. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between M.O. There's a difference between M.O. and, and signatures. signatures. Well, we can't talk about it. Let's save it for the Mindhunter. Tease them a little bit, okay? All right. All right. All right. Just, I like know, where you're going with this. Can't okay. give you everything right on the first episode. You but know? yeah, ultimately, what he was looking for is getting off. A lot of these right. guys are sexually inadequate, so mm -hmm. only way they can even get off is by harming others in this in this type of way. Yeah, no witnesses, right? Especially in the '60s, you know, there's a lot of rape that happened in this. This is terrible to say. There was a lot of rape that went unreported, I would assume, yeah. than it does now. Oh, you know what? This is something I might as well point out. Just in case you didn't know, Leroy Martin, our killer, he was a necrophiliac. So that changes the conversation. He, right. <laughs> He'll go back to the crime scenes after it happened because here's something that alludes to that. It's Tina rough. had already been missing for 10 days before the body was discovered or before he even called. Because remember, he called and they went straight out there pretty much to go check it out. Exactly. For got Nancy. To the, got to Nancy, realized, holy shit, this guy ain't fucking around. And so they go to see where he said Tina was. That's kind of the point I mentioned right. earlier. Is like, it's been 10 days since he reported it. Right. He would even return to the bodies seven or eight times before they were discovered. There's no way he did this with Nancy, but for Tina, he said to have gone back to her body at least seven or eight times. Wow. Yeah. So he was in the necrophilia. All into it. Heavily. Ugh. So, yeah, that kind of changes the conversation when it comes to, like, signature. And mm -hmm. There is a lot of cases where the murder is strictly collateral damage of this individual wanting to rape Oh, yeah, body. absolutely. But if he's going back to have sex with the body, then it's more than just that. Right. Yeah. He's, what I think you're trying to say is he could be a product killer where he ends up killing something for what's left, there the product. Yeah. He also could have gone off on the fact that, you know, he was strangling someone. 
Hey, Ted Bundy did the same thing. That's a great example. Yeah. He clearly got off on the murders and the sensationalism. But he would do necrophilia. You go to somebody like Dahmer, for example. Oh, Dahmer's full-on product. I don't think he really got off on murdering. No, he hated it. He I, hated I, it. I think he hated it, yeah. Right, yeah, he didn't want... He, didn't he felt actually... so bad about it because he'd have to, like, pound drinks back and back and back to get drunk enough to be able to kill someone. Okay. He so... definitely just wanted a little zombie cuddle bunny. <laughs> if that's what you can call it, <laughs> That's yeah. what he wanted. I he mean, did. literally, right. that's what he wanted. Right. But anyway, so... As they're finding Tina's body, mind oh. you, second body, as they're finding Tina's body, back at the police station, they get a phone call. The caller asks if Gibbons got the sheriff and went looking for the bodies. The deputy that answered the phone said, uh, yeah, and the caller hangs up. Probably Leroy. Clearly. And I yeah. just want to, I, I, I want to say this. Don't trust anybody with three fucking names. Like, if you ever introduce me to, like, a, a Billy Bob Thornton, uh, <laughs> <You're> right, <though. laughs> you yeah, know, that's, that's any all. person with three names, I automatically do not trust. Them. Now, there was conflicting accounts whether she had actually been capped at the 10 days or how long she'd been out there because I guess they didn't have... The same technology that they do with, with like, yeah, CSI to exactly. be able to, like, really determine... To, to time of death, yeah. After they get that phone call, the police have to go search for the third victim that he mentioned in the phone call. Mm -hmm. So after some investigating, the police found out that Annie Dedmond was killed eight months earlier before all of this. Wow. So he didn't, yeah. Even so, further to that point, mm -hmm. you know, like right after killing Nancy, he called. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her body was found in neighboring Union County off of Jerusalem Road. Uh, Annie had spent the night of her abduction drinking with her husband at a local bar. On the way home, they got into a fight. And witnesses say that the car was driving erratic as they were driving home. And when they stopped, Annie jumped out of the car to walk home. Her husband, Roger Dedman, uh -huh. he just let her go. Since he had been drinking, he thought maybe... I just need to chill out for a second. He decides to go to sleep in his car and drive home in the morning. Let her walk home, whatever. You know, they've been in plenty of fights before. Mm -hmm. He drives home in the morning. Eventually, when the detectives come to notify him of his wife's murder, he gets arrested and he's sentenced to 18 years of Union County prison camp. So are these different police departments? Um, they're in Cherokee County. Okay. Yeah. So that would be the mix-up. Yeah, because I think eight months ago when this happened, mm -hmm. he got charged for it. Right. Yeah. So I'm. I, I mean, I'm. I'm guessing that since they could not find a body, or they couldn't find Annie's body, but knew that she was missing, he had that already he had been something charged. to do with it. Yeah. He had already been charged for murder. Right. He's already serving prison time. I mean, it's a small town in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Everyone sees the car driving erratically, and then his wife suddenly disappears. Disappears. Yep. That's that's how it must You're have happened. Charged for murder, buddy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because it even says here that while Roger is going through the judicial process, that Leroy Martin goes to his trial. Oh no! All in the middle of the investigations. And and something else to note is the time frame. He had a major cool down period between the eight months between Annie and Tina, and then he had. Only a week between Tina and Nancy. Yeah. So, um, or, you know, 10 days. It's pretty taking, much a little bit over a week. Yeah, it's, it's escalating longer right. now. He's going almost into like a berserker mode. Right. So, at this time, state police get involved and they start getting a ton of leads. 
The police put together a profile and start to suspect Gibbons, the reporter, <laughs> is the killer. Shut up. Um, so they end up tapping Gibbons' work phone. But unfortunately, Gibbons receives another call, but this time it's at his home. <laughs> so they <laughs> tap the wrong phone. And here's what that phone call sounds like. So, yeah, that's the phone call. The anonymous caller, obviously, was Leroy. Leroy, son of a bitch, hangs up again, and Gibbons immediately calls the police. They rush over there, and a few minutes later, deputies Oliver Coyle and Otis Spencer arrive at the house. Gibbons also calls his editor, because <laughs> that's what you have to do whenever, you know, you're in... Yeah. <laughs> whenever you're in that industry. The police are like, how did he know not to call the office like he had before? Oh, my God. <laughs> so Gibbons, oh. Gibbons is freaking out. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> First of all, y'all are the worst cops ever. <laughs> Trying I feel bad to talk for Gibbons, his way. Man. Yeah, he has such a bad day. He has such a bad day. Like- <laughs> but as he's trying to explain his way out of it, the phone rings. <laughs> and at the, his house yeah yeah the phone rings at his house while the Man. police are there so the deputies listen in on the other line can you imagine them just like <laughs> Gibbons is talking to Leroy Martin <laughs> who just killed three women and the police like uh, go up to the other line and listen in <laughs> which is actually that, that, that is kind of hard to believe they, he, they probably all shared one phone because in the 60s in South Carolina like you didn't have two phones <laughs> you didn't have two phones in your house that was like having like two TVs like that didn't happen I'm sure he was well off. He might have had a second line, but even <laughs> they're beyond, all like gathered around the phone together. <laughs> but seriously, shout out to the guys for giving Gibbons a little bit of grace here. Right. He well, finally gets a little bit of grace. How bad have the cards fallen for your ass if luck for you is the serial killer calling right. while the cops are <laughs> at your house? Woo! Thank God he's the <laughs> Thank serial, God killer, the serial calling killer calling me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here's how the conversation went. Oh, hold up, hold up. Thank you, first of all. I just want to let you know, I'm not a big fan of what you're doing, but thanks for calling. Continue. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that she had some Harris Teeter stamps in her pocketbook. And the same weapons are used in all three deaths. What weapon? I can't say. That would give me away. Miss Devin was killed in March, not May. And I killed Miss Reinhardt at 10 a.m. on December 29th, not February 6th. The coroner got it wrong. Don't you think you ought to come and give yourself up? I'll get the chair. They'll get me. You need help. You might not even get the chair. Yeah, I'll get the chair. I had their hands and feet tied when I killed them. Where did you pick up the Paris girl? That would give me away. What about the Reinhardt girl? She had been dead a week. I had been back to the gravesite seven or eight times. Do you have some feelings, or you wouldn't be concerned about them, and why don't you give yourself up? They will have to shoot me like the dog I am. You need help, and we'll try to help you. I'm psycho. The only reason I'm telling you this is to get the other boy out. 
keep serving my time. One thing you can tell people, I'm not going to pick up any woman that's fat and ugly. I'll be in, but if they don't catch me, I will kill again. He calls in, I guess he's starting to feel guilt. Like, what is this? He's trying to get Roger out of prison for a murder that he knows he didn't commit. I don't think that goes to any yeah, he wants the credit. form of sympathy. There yeah. you go. And the very next day, guess what? The killer, Leroy Martin, makes good on his promise. And on February 13th, 1968, Opal Buxton, a 14-year-old girl in the ninth grade, African-American honor student and member of the high school chorus, left her house a few minutes before her 16-year-old sister, Gracie. Gracie was trailing about 50 yards behind Opal. When a blue sedan drives up, a man jumps out, grabs Opal, and forces her into the trunk of his car. Gracie runs home to tell their dad. His name's Emmanuel Buxton. Mm -hmm. He jumps into his car and speeds down the dirt road, only to discover Opal's books sprawled over the highway. Damn. Since the family doesn't have a telephone, mm -hmm. Buxton races to his mother's house to call the police. Damn. That's some real like, nightmare. Absolutely worst thing right ever. It is, yeah. Yeah. And a another point, Nancy was was white, the 20-year-old white girl. All the previous victims, Nancy, Tina, and, Tina. and Annie, all white women. Yeah, so that's another remarkable thing here is you you typically don't see usually not right. They usually the same will stick race. to their race. They yeah. usually stick to the same that, race. It, it normally has to do with sexual gratification, right? Here and that, so normally they're going that they for the usually same stick type. to the same types and everything. Not only that, yeah. they also are more comfortable with their race, right? But anyway, there's also some benefits to this case with Opal being so different, and that is that this is the first time the police have a description of the man they're looking for. Because Gracie, her sister, who was only about, you know, 50 yards behind her whenever she got taken, she got a good look at him. He said he was a young white man wearing slacks, a jacket, and that he was bareheaded, which I'm guessing just meant bald. Yeah. yeah so he has two victims that are like young teens. Mm -hmm. And then he has two victims that are older women. I think... Well, uh, Nancy was 19 she or was 20. She was 20. Okay. So she wasn't. But I'm just saying she's a she's a full-grown woman at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Versus yeah. a 14-year-old. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So he's just kind of Major like difference. running the gambit here yeah. as far as his victims. victims. <laughs> um, that makes it kind of, I guess, more difficult to narrow mm -hmm. down. But luckily, like you said, they actually got a pretty good description of this guy. Yeah, they got a good, uh, well, you know, good enough apparently because... Um, older, this bald, white guy. Older, bald, white guy. So pretty much a, a, the a, majority of South Carolina. Um. <laughs> I don't know about the majority of us are bald, but uh, there's a lot. Yeah. This launches the largest manhunt in Cherokee County history, which got together pretty quickly. They took about an, an hour to organize. Citizen volunteers actually even joined the police, the sheriff's deputies, and highway patrolmen, and they just scour the whole area looking for Opal, anywhere they can find her. There's even three private planes in the air within an hour searching the entire county, looking for any signs of this car. Local radio stations started to broadcast the descriptions, and this led to a completely 
terrified population. Everybody was on edge. Let's I say. believe it. I mean, yeah. public outcry must have been on 10 because if I hear about this, like my, my daughter's not going to be riding the bus. Right. Everybody is freaking out. A serial killer on the loose. They even closed down the schools and families start to barricade themselves inside their house. So two of the citizen volunteers that joined the search Henry Transow and Lester Skinner. Gosh, Lester Skinner? Lester Skinner. Gosh, man. Just think about it. I got to go meet a guy from South Carolina named Lester Skinner. <laughs> Are we sure he's not the murderer? I'm just kidding. Uh, Lester was probably a great guy. Oh, he was a state fire warden. Oh, my gosh. Now I feel terrible. Wow. Never mind. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, they meet at the local store uh, called Price's Store that's on Chesney Highway, and they begin to search the back roads for anything that might be related to Opal's kidnapping. They go up Highway 11 and spot a 1957 Chevrolet that was backed in into a cutoff trail. There was a young man who was standing next to a parked car and the young man jumps in his car and speeds off. Now Transow and Skinner, they turn around and start to give chase. The car finally pulls into a driveway and this isn't just like a, a, a driveway of his home or something like that. This is someone he doesn't even know. I guess he sees that someone's chasing him and he just pulls in to a rando's home. So maybe they would get the idea that, oh, he's, he's going home. home, yeah. you know, Or maybe he was just freaking out and wanted to see if they were following him. Anyway, he gets to the home of this Idiot. guy who he doesn't even know named B.L. McGinnis who has nothing to do with this case at all, doesn't know who the driver Leroy Martin is. And Martin basically gets out and starts talking to McGinnis. He's like, what's up, man? What's the necrodelia? Like, who are you? Anyway, so Transo and Skinner, they're like, oh, he's just talking to that guy. So he's all good. And they just drive past the house. But they did manage to write down the tag number and called the sheriff's department with that tag number. Oh, booyah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop you right here. You know, if he was black, he wouldn't be able to just hop out at a random house. Probably not. Strike up conversation. <laughs> 1960 South Carolina. That's for damn sure. <laughs> that, that ain't going to happen. Um... It's kind of weird, honestly, and I don't know how accurate this is. Like, you know, all books have their embellishments, but it says that whenever Opal goes missing, the communities start to come together. Now, I don't know how much that of that is true, mm -hmm. but there's definitely other people looking for her. That's how they got the tag number. Yeah, yeah. So, so he brought black people and white people together. In, in ways, he's he's not just a necrophiliac. He is also a social justice warrior. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Abolitionist serial killer Leroy uh, Martin. Was, yeah. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I don't think he gave, gave two shits. Anyway, so they get the tag number. Comes back as Leroy Martin. And this is the state police who run his tag. They talk to the local police. The local police like, there's no way that's Leroy Martin. I know that guy. I know his family. You know, he's got three kids and a wife. So he works a shift at the Musgrove Mills. Just a normal nine-to-five-day worker with a family. What a time to be alive for a sociopath. Uh, because this oh, was... this is prime. This is prime. They are out participating in your local political mm -hmm. events and yeah. 
family town meetings. They're all there present with a smile on their face. He's a perfect example. What a prick. But there's like, you know, you're, you're wasting your time if you're looking at Leroy Martin. There's no way it could be him. However, police discover Martin had a criminal record. Like many serial killers, like many criminals in general, mm-hmm. they have priors. In 1957, at the age of 19, Martin was charged with assault and battery with the intent to kill after assaulting a young girl in the woods behind his mother's house. Now, that's a long time. 57, the murders happened in 68. So 11 to 12 years. Yeah, but that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's probably other crimes. They don't go straight to murder. You but know? there's other crimes that I'm sure he's committed that hasn't... Just haven't been yeah, recorded. That he got away with. Yep. But he did have to serve a year on the the To be game. honest, he could have <laughs> got away with all these crimes. If he didn't call, if, possibly. Yeah, yeah because Roger called. took the fall for Annie, yeah. Martin did get charged with that assault and battery. He did end up serving a year in prison. But yeah, he was definitely testing the waters, you could yeah, say, right. as far as that assault and battery case back in the 50s. But anyway, the next day, police set up a task force to follow Martin with around-the-clock surveillance. <laughs> He's doing some weird stuff. Okay. The police observe him washing his car in 20-degree weather, which, you know, you don't wash your car when it's that cold. He ends up going to his mother's house to change his tires. Again, in 20-degree weather. Yeah. And we're in South Carolina. Nobody's prepared for 20-degree weather in South Carolina. We don't do shit in 20-degree weather. No, no. The whole state shuts down. But anyway, he also ends up going to the local grocery store to pick up the Wednesday copy of the Gaffney Ledger. Ha ha. He even tells the cashier that day, he says, sometimes there just ain't no news and people have to do things to make the news. <laughs> Look at that. He's out there living his best life. <laughs> what a douchebag. Yeah, no, he is a super big douchebag. The following day, police follow him to none other than the house of his second victim, Tina Reinhardt, where the family is having a visitation service. Tina's sister standing next to the open coffin when in comes Leroy Martin to the living room. He looked into the coffin and he tells Tina's sister, she sure is a pretty girl. I don't see how anybody could have done this to her. Martin was offered a cup of coffee and he remains at the house for several hours talking with Tina's family members and friends. So fucked up. That's so fucked up. It couldn't have been Opal's sister. Nah, she would have known. <laughs> <laughs> right away. Well, yeah, because he's a white right guy away. showing up at the... Anyway, the next day, February 16th, 1968, at 6.30 a.m., 10 police cruisers filled with a dozen police officers, agents from SLED, and the FBI. He's got the feds on him at this point. Oh, and the North Carolina Special Agents Unit? <laughs> like, come on. So all these officers arrive at the location where Transow and Skinner had seen Martin's 57 Chevy backed up into the woods. They're going back to where the car was first spotted at. The officers fan out and begin to search the woods. While they were searching a gully, one of the officers noticed a large dead limb that was lying on top of a fresh green limb. It might just be a good cop, you know, but he notices that something is off, something unnatural, you know, has occurred here. And less than a minute later, they unearthed the body of Opal Buxton, who had been buried in the shallow grave at just 14 years old. He might have just finished burying the body. Right. That's what happened. Yeah. That afternoon, though, they feel that they have enough to arrest Leroy Martin for the murder of Opal Buxton. And the following day, 
He also gets two additional murder charges for Tina and Nancy. So while they're investigating Leroy Martin after they arrest him, they go up to where he worked and they find some car keys, hairbrushes, books of Harris Teeter stamps, which Martin collected from his victims. He finally does get that last murder charge of Annie Deadman on February 17th, 1968. And so they exonerate Annie's husband? Just 11 days later, they exonerate him. Yeah. Roger gets released after serving nine months for murder that he did not commit. But he may have been an abuser, so we're just going to oh my God. hold our tears. <laughs> uh, Martin underwent an evaluation at the state hospital here in Columbia, South Carolina. Toot, toot. And he was ruled competent enough to stand trial. I mean, he wasn't mm-hmm. insane. I mean, obviously he was insane, but he wasn't, you know, insane as far as a clinical standpoint. No, I think that he was. There's a difference between psychotic and insane. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. So he waives his right to a jury trial and made South Carolina judicial history. He was tried, convicted, and sentenced on all four murder charges without ever facing a jury, which he's the only person in South Carolina history to do so. There's not much known as to why Martin did what he did. It says here when he committed the murders that his double had committed them. He even told his mother one time that he claimed he could feel a violent half of his personality taking control of his physical movements. It's my double, Mom. Yeah. Well, regardless. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Yeah. Yeah. Like a like a dark passenger on, on Dexter. But regardless, this all came to an end May 31st, 1972, when Martin was killed by another prisoner, <laughs> Kenneth Rumsey, who plunged a homemade shiv into Martin's chest just below the heart. And Rumsey ends up getting sentenced to an additional 20 years for Martin's murder. I say give him a reward. I mean, Um, actually, that was how our justice system works. You do something really bad, you either die by electric chair, lethal injection, or general population. Yeah. (laughs) Just a cool little fact about this case is Martin, whenever he was sent to prison, his uh, Chevy, his car, it was repossessed and it was sold at an auction for $150 to a guy named Tensy Bachelor. (laughs) (laughs) And it soon became an odd tourist attraction. <laughs> Bachelor recall, he said, I had girls coming by all hours of the day. <laughs> I guess it kind of goes back to, I guess, the purpose of our podcast. I mean, it's the human fascination yeah. with these fucked up minds. This is some morbid curiosity, Man. but we should probably talk about this on Mindhunter. We got to stop getting ahead of ourselves. But uh-huh. it's okay uh-huh. because... We're just wetting the, the appetite. Wetting the appetite? It's a W-H-E-T wet. Oh, okay. All uh-huh. right. Well, you're wetting my appetite. I can tell you that <laughs> okay. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't find anything else on the car. I, I can't even really get a picture of it anywhere. But people recall whenever they were in the car and they go for a ride, they said when things were real dark and real quiet, they could hear the screams of Leroy mm. Martin's victims. I actually read somewhere that that's where they got the whole premise of Ghost Rider, the television show. Oh, Ghost Rider? Yeah. What's the show where the the car talks with that old car? Oh, with (laughs) that's um, Ghost Rider. (laughs) That's Knight Rider. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, that that that's correct, Knight Rider. But it's spelled. You know, I never knew this. It's Knight Rider, but it's spelled with a K for Knight. So he's like the Knight Rider. Ah. Yeah. And his car is like a super smart car. Actually, has nothing. At all to do with not a single thing, but I learned something new, and hopefully, you did too. I did. That's what this podcast is all about. Hey, man, that was our first episode. That's it. That's all we have. It was fun. It was fun. We took you from Gaffney Peaches to Hasselhoff Knight Rider, so. 
It sounds like That's a dream I had. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thank you all so much for listening to this podcast. Please make sure to subscribe, like our social media posts. We're going to be doing tons of new, fun, yeah. interesting, out-of-the-box things. And tell all your friends. That's they all. also probably have morbid curiosity just like the rest of us yeah just steal their phone and subscribe for them actually i would i would steal it and go go to their spotify account and and just subscribe for them yeah any any final thoughts on the first episode i just feel like that was a lot of fun and i'm excited it's gonna be it's gonna be a journey That's a hot one. That's a spicy meatball.